I think you're really going to like this episode of STEM, Insider Tips for Greenhouse Pros. I'm Bill Calkins, and we're lucky to have not one but two excellent guests this episode. Leland Turing and Chris Fifo, perennial experts representing Darwin Perennials and Keith C. Leland and Chris team up to bring a fascinating perspective to our topic, demystifying perennial production, because they come at it from two angles, but end up in the same place. There are tons of opportunities greenhouse professionals can tap into when a product mix is shifted or expanded to include more perennials. In this episode, we'll dig into the current perennials market and why consumers are buying more every year, perennial growing today compared to the past, how to get started in perennials operationally and in terms of no-brainer products, mistakes and pitfalls to avoid, and what the future may hold. It's fun to point out that I'm actually catching these guys on the road as they're visiting perennials trials on the East Coast, so if they seem fired up and energetic, it's because they've gotten plenty of vitamin D and seen hundreds of amazing plants in the hours before recording. But first, Connect Four, where we take a look at four messages lining up to support one key industry topic. How many of you create marketing plans each year? I know some do because I've seen whiteboards and notepads with notes scribbled on them in greenhouse and garden center offices for years. I've also heard plenty of growers and retailers remind me of the old adage. I know half of my marketing works, I just don't know which half. Sometimes marketing plans can seem like a challenge or maybe the word is a hassle or pain in the butt, but there's definitely a science and formula to putting together a good one and having a process really makes it much easier. You have a production plan to grow geraniums, right? You need a marketing plan to create a campaign. I recently attended an educational session at a national greenhouse conference featuring a past STEM podcast guest, Mason Day from Grow It. It was titled, Creating a Kick-Ass Marketing Plan. The title intrigued me and the content was excellent. He broke down marketing planning into an accessible formula. Here are four critical elements of kick-ass marketing plans. Number one, set goals. Keep your marketing efforts focused toward meeting business goals. Everything moves forward from your yearly business goals, right? If you don't have yearly business goals, wait a minute, you got to back up then. You need to set goals every year and maybe every quarter. Marketing efforts that don't lead back to a business goal are a waste of time, according to Mason. He also shared some common goals. Maybe you want to increase sales by 10%, increase the number of sales by 5%, Maybe you're looking to acquire 20 new landscape customers. The best goals are clear and targeted, but broad goals will work too. Next, determine your buckets and define the audience for each. Successful planning starts with manageable chunks, according to Mason. A good starting point, he suggests, is to do it by department. You wouldn't really market your perennials like your vegetables, so be sure to get as granular as you can for the most success. Some examples he gave were maybe you want to target shrubs or, or vegetables or, or gifts if you're a retailer or going after landscape services. But you can also look at your product mix and focus on pre-finished annuals or your four-inch spring program, gallon perennials, however you differentiate within your portfolio. But he also gives this warning. Don't get crazy. Choose five to seven divisions, not ten or more. And then... Define your audience. Your efforts need to be aimed somewhere, or how will you ever hit anything? 
Each division of your plan should have a distinct audience, and the more detailed, the better. You won't always hit your target, but you'll get close. All the good marketers I know talk about a bullseye. You aim for the center, and you'll no doubt hit the other rings as you shoot. Third, market inside out. Mason spent a lot of time on this, and it really helped me understand some new elements of marketing in today's environment. Start with inside efforts, and then move outside when planning your marketing approach. Inside captures what is yours. This can be anything from the physical products that you produce, catalogs or flyers, to your digital channels. Websites, blogs, social profiles are all owned segments. You directly control the messages that you put out. Owned marketing can cost you money, but it's a long-term investment that lasts throughout time, according to Mason. Everything eventually comes back to owned materials. Your sales happen on your own turf. And conversions happen in your own space. Mason suggests you should ramp up collateral building activities such as websites, store displays and signage, social profiles, wholesale catalogs, even events, any sort of reward program you have, and your blogs. Then look outside and focus on marketing activities that occur that take effort, but not money. Earned marketing. Mason talks about earned marketing being any coverage or results you get that you aren't paying for in development and or advertising. Any PR you get is considered earned media. Anything that an influencer or an advocate or a customer puts out about you is, is, uh, inside, or is outside marketing. Anything like reviews, shared social, and blogs that aren't your own, speaking and presenting at outside events, these outside activities might not move the needle quickly, but when it comes to sales, it gives you better stories to offer up, and then adds to your credibility and reputation. These are sustainable growth activities. So go after the press, go after the reviews, use your social posts and shares that might not be your own, blogs that aren't your own, word of mouth, obviously this is very critical in our businesses, outside events, and advocate marketing. If you don't know what advocate marketing is, it's certainly something you need to look in for, into because there's plenty of uh, folks out there willing to share your stories. The next level is paid marketing, but that's a topic for another day because it requires much more customized plans and approaches. Maybe I'll get Mason on another episode soon to delve into that one. The final chip in our game of Marketing Plan Connect 4 is perhaps the most critical. Let your marketing plan be a living document. You don't need to start from scratch every year. Continuation is key, and of course, you need to debrief and assess at least once per campaign and comprehensively at the end of the year. Mason asks, what worked well? What didn't? What will you repeat? What paid for itself? Measuring the return on investment is a key way to determine successes or failures when it comes to marketing. So in his session, Mason also spent time on paid advertising and marketing, establishing timelines and tracking performance, but you're going to have to catch him on the trade show circuit or in other industry trade magazines and media to go a little bit deeper. And check out the STEM podcast titled, What Today's Shopper Wants? to hear more from this up-and-coming industry leader. I'll put a link in the show notes. Now, let's get to plant production and take some steps to demystify perennials with Leland and Chris. It's my pleasure to welcome Leland Turing and Chris Fifo to STEM. Leland is the sales and marketing manager for Darwin Perennials, most recently in the States, he was a regional supply manager for Ball Seed from 2009 to 2013, 
Then he moved his family down under for a fascinating opportunity to serve as customer service and inside sales manager for Ball Australia. Now back in the U.S., Leland develops and supports Darwin's sales activities through its distribution network. Chris is the perennial product representative at Ball, focusing on the Darwin perennials and Keeft seed brand assortments and working with key young plant producers and accounts throughout North America. Chris brings extensive perennial technical and product knowledge from his 30-year career, working as technical advisor and head grower at Swift Greenhouses in Gilman, Iowa. Such experience in both distribution, product management, and greenhouse production is why we're lucky to have both of these guys on the podcast. There's a ton of knowledge to be shared in the next half hour or so, so let's get started. Leland, Chris, welcome to STEM. Hey, thank you for having us here, Bill. Excited to take part in my first ever podcast. Ah, <laughs> cool. Thanks, Bill. Glad to be here. So, first off, I know that um, both you guys are new, a little bit new in your roles um, with, with when it comes to Darwin and Keeft. You're definitely not new in the industry, but can you tell me a little bit about your roles and why you feel there's so much potential and excitement in today's perennials market. We have covered perennials and some of the seasonal growth opportunities and exciting new varieties and breeding on STEM before, and the response was really good. So I know the market is expanding, but from your perspectives, tell me a little bit why. Uh, sure, I can uh, take off uh, on this one first uh, here, Chris. So my role at Darwin Perennials is uh, really to manage uh, our sales and marketing uh, efforts. And, you know, my position is newly created as of last year and really was specifically developed to help, you know, capture some of this uh, excitement and potential in the perennial world uh, today. Uh, Bill, I thought I just maybe mentioned a little bit about who Darwin Perennials is, though, for any of your listeners who might not be familiar with us. Uh, Darwin Perennials, were a breeder uh, and producer of uh, brand new perennial uh, markets. We supply undergood cuttings from uh, our farm in uh, Colombia. We do also supply uh, some tissue culture perennials, specifically our like Echinacea sombrero and Hooker carnival uh, series. Uh, and also just in the last few years, we've gotten into uh, grasses and uh, we supply uh, all these genetics into uh, the North American and European uh, markets. And you know, I think uh, one of the reasons why I'm, I'm really so excited about uh, the perennial market uh, today is it's because of all the new breeding that's happened uh, and you know new breeding in in perennials has really um has really developed over over the last uh, 10 years to be much more professionalized um and what this professional breeding has uh, brought us is new varieties that you know that offers you know growers consumers uh and uh, retailers uh better varieties to do things like reduce shrink extend the uh, shelf life of different plants at retail and, you know, re reduce uh, maintenance even in the landscape for the, you know, for the consumer. Um, you know, and another reason is that uh, perennials are so ex exciting is with this new professional uh, breeding has also come a, you know, improved supply chains uh, as, as well. And um, really when I look at uh, where the perennial uh, supply chain is uh, today, it's kind of like where the annual supply chain was <clears throat> almost uh, 20 years ago. You know, 20 years ago in annuals, there was a lot of self-prop, you know, unreliable, uh, not very many professionally bred annuals. And, you know, today where you see the annual market at least have a very supp uh, reliable supply chain, um, you know, almost no, um, almost, you know, no open, open genetics, all professionally 
professionally bred. And really, I think that's something we can emulate in the uh, in the perennial world. You know, like I said, new new uh, professional uh, breeding and perennials allow us to do some new uh, new things, and the supply chain is really getting there. So um, that's really why I'm excited about uh, the perennial market today. How about you, Chris? I'm excited to be one of the newest members of the Darwin team. Um, name Darwin means a lot to me. I come from a 30-year background in the production side of things, so I've been growing almost exclusively perennials from vegetative and from seed for nearly 30 years, and just the name Darwin means a lot to me, and so I'm excited to be a part of this very fast-growing uh, segment of uh, the industry, the perennials itself, but Darwin also. Um, my excitement and my passion uh, as a, a product representative for perennials, uh, I just want to share that with the rest of the growers and share the new genetics. Uh, there's a lot of exciting stuff coming from seed and vegetative and it's coming to market so quickly. I just want to make sure that everybody is aware of this and realizes that perennials can be incorporated into the annual programs and everybody should be trying some perennials. And so I really want to share that excitement with the market and really get the word out there that uh, there's a lot of great stuff. And as Leland mentioned, it's uh, turned the, the whole line of perennials uh, very professional, just like the annuals have. And if you look at perennials, to me, a new perennial variety that's coming to the market is much more exciting than a new color of Calvertoa. Absolutely. You know, I, I think that we've we've seen that professionalization arise. I love the analogy um, looking at the annuals market and, and the growth that we've seen over the past 20 years. Um, it's really exciting to think that we, that we could just be really at the beginning of the, uh, of, of the curve when it comes to professional perennials. So specifically looking um, at professional growers, where do you see this growth coming from that, that, that we've talked about? Is it converting existing growing space to new genetics in the perennials category? Is it shifting your overall product mix? Um, is it building new, adding perennials? Where do you, what, are you, what are you seeing and hearing out there in the marketplace? That's a, that's a great question, uh, Bill. Now, I think um, it's, all of, it's all of the above is where I think the growth in perennials is, is coming from. And as specifically, I think growers are really looking to diversify their uh, their offering and give com- give their customers some additional uh, options. And I think part of this stems from the uh, the average gardener uh, today. You know, we've we've got millennials and we've got uh, and we've got uh, baby boomers. You know, and the millennials they want to find value in their in their garden space, but with as minimal work as possible. And baby boomers, on the other hand, who were like really that kind of prime gardening generation. Uh, they're getting older, potentially gardening a little bit less, you know, and that kind of multi-year value of perennials gives both, I think, millennials and uh, uh, baby uh, boomers, um, you know, more flower power, more uh, staying power uh, in their garden, and actually allows them to work a little bit, uh, a little, a little bit less. So I think those two groups certainly find some value uh, in in perennials, so that the growers that are serving servicing those those consumers uh, are certainly looking to um, attract uh, both of those uh, groups of gardeners. Well, I think, like said, they want to work less, less work, and you still get that satisfaction from the gardening, from the decorating with perennials. And so, 
it may not be necessarily converting existing space or, or taking over space from the annuals, but maybe it's using some unused space, whether that's uh, the corners of the greenhouse or using some outdoor space. Uh, perennials are very suitable for growing outdoors. Uh, it can be very, uh, very minimal labor doing so, putting them in gallon pots, uh, using extra outdoor space wherever possible. Uh, my philosophy has always been if you can reach it with the hose and it doesn't get run over, it's usable growing space. And that's perfectly suitable for many of the perennials. Um, whether we want to convert some of the annual varieties and maybe cut back on some of the colors of calabricoas and some of the colors of petunias we're doing, mix in a few perennials. The thing about them is they can be grown right alongside the annuals. We don't need special spaces, no special equipment, lighting, fertilizers, anything like that. And so it's very easy to incorporate into an existing annual program. That makes a lot of sense. You know, Leland, you talked a, a little bit about those potential markets um, for this new perennial uh, breeding, the millennials and the boomers. The good thing is those are huge markets, so um, there's no lack of, uh, of people to go after. And then Chris, talking a lot about using the, the existing space that you have, I think will sound good to our listeners who might not uh, ha have the have the, the the need or money in the bank to go ahead and start building new production facilities so you know look to the space you have um, like Chris said if you can reach it with a hose you probably can grow perennials there um, yeah I, I think that that's all really really good news for our listeners so we've talked a little bit about the potential for growers to move into the perennials market now tell me a little bit about the product mix I can't imagine that adding, you know, 100 new species is really a good idea when getting started with anything. But maybe tell us a little bit about top products to start with and then maybe position them to help growers identify the markets to hit. Because I know that starting with a plan is always a good idea. Well, I think the biggest thing is just to start small. Um, get a few varieties in some of the most well-known varieties and start small. There are a list of things that are, I consider, no-brainer perennials. Uh, bought in in the springtime, especially as, as a liner, an aqualegia, columbines, I think, are probably one of the top-selling spring-blooming perennials. Uh, other ones include some dianthus, uh, bellus, the English daisies, uh, and uh, armeria thrifts, the sea pinks. Uh, they're very popular. They're very well-known perennials. And I consider these no-brainers because you cannot stop them from flowering. They're going to flower regardless of what you do to them. You can abuse them, you can ignore them, and they're still going to flower. They're not going to have any issues with uh, pests. They're not going to have to have any special growth, regular treatments, or anything like that, no special lighting. And so I think that's a great place for people to start. If they want to start dabbling in perennials, go with those ones that are very, uh, very popular. You see them everywhere. And uh, they really make a great show early in the season in the garden center. Yeah, and I, you know, I think I'd uh, add to that. I think there's also a couple of really uh, great varieties and perennials that's part of this kind of uh, new breeding prof professionalization trend uh, that we're seeing. And uh, we just, I think Chris actually coined the phrase "annuals with benefits." So these are really perennials that, at least in in production. Uh, behave exactly like uh, some of the annuals. It can be grown right alongside of them. You know, one uh, one key in it, Bill, if you let me do a bit of uh, of shameless product placement here, 
the uh, Salvia Salvia Rose and Blue Marble are uh, newer Salvia numerosas on the market. And Salvia numerosa, it's a top ten genus uh, in in perennials. And the really special thing about the Marble series is, you know, they've got these really extra large flowers uh, that certainly make an impact at uh, at retail uh, and are very vibrant and showy uh, in the garden. But the best part about it is, you know, for the actual uh, grower, they can grow them right alongside uh, alongside their their annuals. So if they're going to the market in in uh, in the first part of uh, first part of June with their annuals, they can take along their salvia, rose, and uh, blue marble uh, as well. Nobody minds a product pitch when it when it solves problems and uh, and makes someone's life easier. So I do, and salvia, rose, and blue marble are fantastic new introductions, and then. You know, Chris, touching on these no-brainers, the Aquilegia, Dianthus, English Daisies, Armeria. You know, it, it's that it's those products with that superb flower power that are that are going to keep blooming and really grab uh, consumer interest. So, good products with with high retail sell-through. I think sounds like the way to go when you're getting started. Well, so, Leland mentioned the uh, the annuals with benefits, and so mm-hmm. many perennials. I think people know them to flower just for a certain period of time in the season. You have to be very careful with scheduling, and then they're going to go out of flower and not look look so good all summer long. But many of the perennials coming now are going to be flowering all season long. That's why I like calling them annuals with benefits. We don't need to be committed to that landscape program uh, for year after year if we don't want to, uh, such as Coryopsis uptick all summer long flowering very vibrant colors of the uptakes uh very hot item all summer long uh fresh perennial flower or color in season all summer long lavenders also a very hot class right now there are some great lavenders first year flowering uh from vegetative called super blue very nice upright deep blue flowers but there's also some great ones from seed uh they're coming from keep seed the elegant series or the blue sphere that's being released for 2019. You can have a frost to frost lavender program, and if you want them to overwinter, you want to go this next year, that's fine, but we can grow them as annuals and pick them up next year and try something different and fun next year. I love all the new lavenders coming to market. Um, it, it, there, there are so many uh, excellent new genetics, um, and I, I do think that that's going to open up and expand the market, especially with the fragrance and, and the fact that people are looking for plants that, that offer more than just prettiness. So now that we've established the growth that's happening, a little bit of details about where it's coming from, some of the great new products to start with. We're a grower podcast. I want to dive into the deep end and talk a little bit about how greenhouse professionals can capitalize. So I'm going to leave this one open for you guys to, to, to talk a little bit about. So if a grower's not already in the perennials game, how do they get started? As I mentioned, yeah, uh, there are those certain classes that everybody knows and that are very easy to grow. My job as a product rep is going to be promoting some of those praise, but just uh, also in customer support. I want to make sure our customers have success with perennials uh, across the board. Whatever they're doing, I want to help them solve problems and stave off problems. And so from a grower's perspective, these perennials can be grown the same as annuals. Uh, in my opinion, the, always the easiest way, uh, there's always been confusion on that cold treatment that perennials need. And we talk about first, first year flowering perennials. Well, if a customer were to buy in a cold treated liner, say a 32, 18, 50 cell, if it has been fully fertilized and cold treated already, it is a first year flowering perennial. 
And so all they're going to have to do is pot that up in whatever container size they're looking at for their market, whether it be quarts or gallons, or maybe later in the summer, if they want to do a fall program, go with a, a larger two or three gallon even. Um, but what I've always recommended is, you know, old school is throw them cold. These are perennials, we'll throw them in a cold frame and they're going to flower when they want. But what I recommend is getting them started warm. Grow them right alongside your annual crops. I talked about outdoor growing space. Now, if it's later in the season, it's getting warm outside, that works great. I would recommend moving them inside and getting them started inside first. Very warm, right alongside the annuals. This is going to make them very easy to schedule. Like I said, they are everything is going to be first year flowering from a cold tree liner, and so they're going to be very easy to schedule. And all that information is available on how to schedule these these uh, perennials for first year flowering and get them timed exactly for an open house for Mother's Day or whatever they've got scheduled with their annual crops. Excellent. Um, Leland, do you want to talk at all about um, how a grower would get into the perennials game when it comes to either understanding the supply chain or you know, how, how they might navigate those waters early on? Um, yeah, I think probably the um, the best thing for uh, a grower to do is first kind of just understand uh, where they can secure their uh, their input. So, you know, do you want to start uh, you want to start in uh, as unrooted? Do you want to start as uh, liners? Uh, and I will say that uh, actually the Darwin Perennials website is actually a pretty great spot to um, uh, find out kind of where you can start to buy some of these these perennials. That's www.darwinperennials.com. There's also a lot of uh, great uh, information on uh, scheduling uh, as well. And actually on our, our website, there's a scheduling tool. So that way, if uh, you know you want to bring your, your annuals in on week 20 and you want to schedule some salvia rose marble, or blue marble to be you know flowering right at that same time, uh, this tool allows you to just pop in the, uh, the ship week and uh, it'll tell you and give you some guidance on uh, you know how to, uh, what, what type of um, uh, uh, type of, fertilizer and, and watering is, is needed. Uh, and so that way you can have that ship right at the same time as your uh, annuals. Excellent. Yeah, that scheduling tool is really the, uh, the easy button on your website. Um, I've seen growers look at that for the first time and just be kind of amazed at how, how easy it is just to plug in the, the timing you want to hit and how it just helps you work backwards all the way to when you need to order and get these things planted up. Um, so Chris, you touched on it a little bit, and I, you know, it's something that that still I think, you know, we're talking about demystifying perennial production. I think that it's something that still mystifies even experienced growers. Um, I know that some perennials can be tricky to produce, could require long crop times. We've talked about vernalization, dormancy, first year flowering. I think that we probably need to little dig a little bit deeper into how to navigate those considerations and, and, and the treatments that are needed. Can you can you clarify this a little bit more since it is a confusing piece of the puzzle? Sure, I can. Yeah, uh, first year flowering. These are going to be things that people are going to buy in in liners or as unrooted cuttings, and they can grow them up and have a decent uh, first year flowering perennial. It's going to grow just like an annual would and have a very nice show. Uh, as far as vernalization, the standard old-fashioned, many of the perennial varieties needed a period of maturity during the summer and fall to really gain a uh, leaf count and, and root mass. 
and then get that cold treatment period as they would mother nature would provide them and then after they get that cold treatment uh they become fully mature and are actually able to flower um and so what i always consider for the most flower power i would always recommend using a second year perennial one that has already been fully cold treated and so that would be a supplier that's doing that treatment for them and when they would buy these in, say February, March in the northern climates, uh, January, February in the southern climates, they would be fully dormant when they when they buy them. And what they need to understand is they need to realize what the expectations are when they receive a cold treated liner. It it will be first year flowering, but it's not going to look really pretty on top. What you're actually buying is the roots on that. And then what we're going to do is we're going to pot that up. We're going to grow it very warm right along the side, and then they're going to take off. And you're always going to have more flower power from a vernalized liner versus a first-year flowering. The first-year flowering can be a little bit longer production time too, but uh, can be less expensive inputs. Buying the cold tree liners can be a little more expensive inputs, but you're going to have very predictable flowering on those, and you're going to have tremendous flower power as well. That was a very succinct answer. I love. I love it. I think that that's that's exactly uh, what we need because um, you know I've heard 45 minute sessions on it and you leave kind of as confused as you started. I think you you wrapped it up in a nice neat package. So keeping with you, Chris. Speaking of some of those things that you just talked about, what are some common mistakes that you run into? When you work with growers that don't have a lot of experience producing perennials, are there any sort of frequently asked questions? Maybe it is the scheduling or the timing. Um, anything that we can head off in a, in a couple minutes here on this podcast? Oh, my. Coming from my background, 30 years of growing and uh, developing a technical service program and working with growers directly that are growing cold treated liners, I've seen I keep thinking everything, but uh, it never ceases to amaze me what some people would do. I think one of the biggest things I see is people treating these, what they would consider as perennials. They could be grown cold. And what I see a problem, if you're starting with that cold treated liner, uh, you know exactly the stage of, of development of that plant. And if they're gonna take those, put it in a gallon pot and put it in the cold frame and say, well, I, I never let it get below freezing in there. Well, the problem with that is that they're gonna stay cold they're going to usually stay wet on the bottom, and that's going to lead to further complications. And then that's going to lead to losses. Uh, like I said, many of these perennials you're going to buy in, there's not going to be any top growth. They're going to look dead on top. You're buying the roots. And so it's very difficult to determine viability by looking on the top sometime. And so if we grow them warm like annuals, they're going to come out of dormancy very quickly. I think that's probably the number one issue I see with growing perennials is growing them too cold and thinking they should be grown cold. Uh, the other issue is with scheduling as well. Um, sometimes they're going to, uh, you need to hit that target window because there are some of the spring bloomers. You're gonna have just a certain period of time that those are gonna be in flower. Aquilegias, I think are one of the most popular spring bloomers. You can have three to four weeks. You're gonna be showing some really good color on those. And so we need to have those scheduled properly because if they're timed correctly, they're going to walk out the door by themselves. Uh, the color show on Aquilegias, Iberus the same way in the garden center in the springtime. It's just outstanding. And they will sell themselves if they're properly timed. I would also just, uh, I was also, if I can add something to that, Chris, is that, you know, the, um, 
I wouldn't. I don't think for our, our those growers who want to want to start into perennials is I don't think that you need to have a, a really special uh, structure or a specific type of uh, greenhouse. If you've got some unused space that is ne sitting next to your annual uh, greenhouse, you need some drippers, you need some one gallon gallon pots, and you need some and you need some perennial plants, and you can you know you can get uh, get get started. I think ultimately it's uh, I think as Chris mentioned is start small. Find something that's uh, that is going to fit your uh, your market. Hit maybe some of the top just top genus in uh, in perennials. Follow some of the recommendations on, that we have got on our uh, our website and get get started. You know, give it a give give it a shot. You can do it, and it can be uh, low cost as well. Excellent. So start small, start warm, start at the right time, but just get started. That's, that's right. Uh, get started. Those are the key points. <laughs> I like it. So um, I think we're going to start wrapping up a little bit, but why don't you tell me, you know, both of you guys, since you come at it from a little bit different angles, your thoughts about the future of perennial production. Do you see this demand that we talked about that's sort of in, in a fairly steep rise because of the customer bases we're talking about? Do you see that demand continuing to increase from consumer retail landscape? Do you see the product mix continuing to change? I know that that you know at Darwin and Keefe you're continually breeding new products. What do you guys you know when you look into your perennials crystal ball? What do you see for the next you know three or five years? Yeah, that's a good question, Bill. I think uh, what I really see is that uh, the lines between perennials and annuals are going to be blurred. And the reason I say it is because he's talking a lot, talking a lot about you know new new breeding, and uh, the new breeding uh, allows growers to uh, kind of grow things the same way. So, and I think I think over time we'll see that uh, growers growers uh, and retailers put and consumers put uh, annuals and perennials uh, right next right next to each other. And uh, see, so yes, I think some people will certainly be. Um, Want to make sure something comes back uh, every every year, but there's a lot of really great uh, perennials that just have a lot of flower power. And you know, I'll give you one example is uh, uh, you know my wife and I we did uh, a little landscape in the front of our house, and and I'm flipping her through all the different catalogs I've got and showing her which uh, you know which which perennials and uh, which annuals that we might uh, have the option to put into our, our garden. And I was like, oh, but this one comes back every year. And she just kind of looks at me and she's like, well, that doesn't matter to me. She goes, I just want a nice pretty flower uh, to it. Um, you know, so I, I think that um, I think that over time we, we are going to see more uh, blending and blurring of the lines between perennials. No, that, that makes sense. years ago in production, I was seeing uh, the perennial cells being fairly flat and um, there were some companies that were getting out of the perennial breeding as far as seeds go there was not a lot being done on the vegetative side and then darwin and some other companies came around as well and we really started working on the vegetative side and really bringing those things to market faster and then with the advent of uh introducing uh varieties into tissue culture i think that opened up a whole new door and a whole new window to uh uh, adding perennials to the market very quickly. Uh, and the thing about perennials is I think the growth has grown exponentially the last five to seven years, really since the vegetative and uh, tissue culture has come around. And 
granules can add such great texture. You know, Leela mentioned his wife want, just wants a pretty flower, but heucheras and hostas, they don't add just a pretty flower. It's great texture to the landscape. It's not just a plastic color, but it's different shapes and forms and the grasses that can add to it as well. And it complements the annuals. It doesn't replace them. They can go together great. They can go together in containers and get along very well. Makes sense. You know, I look at my garden. Um, it is it is very much mixed up. Um, I am in the industry, but it, it is a matter of the color, the texture. You know, it's even attracting pollinators. Um, so it's, you know, I think that people are starting to garden a little bit differently. And uh, those uh, segregated gardens for annuals and perennials and are, are going away and we're starting to see much more of a blend. That's a really good, really good point. And I think it bodes well for you know, seeing this, this increased perennial sales continue. Lastly, what haven't we covered? Do you guys have any final tips, any thoughts? Um, I'm going to leave this wide open for you guys. I just want to make sure that before we, we wrap it up here, you guys get to, uh, to, to, to say what you feel that, you know, to, to help demystify perennial production. I think one thing that uh, we haven't really mentioned, you just kind of alluded to it, the gardening side of things. Well, um, Leland mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, the aging of you know, the baby boomers that are maybe not spending as much time in the garden, but we're decorating more with, with perennials and planters, annuals as well. And so there, there are great varieties out there that can be grown in the summertime for fall sales, and they can be marketed right alongside the fall mums. And so we've got great varieties um, such as Gallardias, Echinaceae, uh, Rebecca Goldstrom, the old-fashioned Black-Eyed Susan that everybody knows, uh, so the Dianthus series, uh, the Rock and Red Dianthus, um, Heap Seed and, and Pan American Seed put together a program called uh, Mum Pals, and their list of varieties and scheduling everything on the website that shows uh, what can be done with these uh, varieties in two and three gallon containers and just makes an outstanding show next to the mums. And so I think people are decorating more with perennials uh, than they used to as well. Yeah, and I would, I would just say, kind of what we talked about earlier is just get started. And there's a lot of really great resources uh, out there uh, to help you get started and be successful with, with perennials. Farm Perennials website certainly is a great, uh, a great resource there. Um, and our, you know, we have a, a catalog that comes out every year. It's got a lot of information on all, all perennials and some scheduling tips and seasonality uh, of it. So, um, you know, really reach reach out to you know your sales rep or certainly reach out to Chris uh, to Chris and I as uh, as well. And uh, yeah, we'd be happy to, to walk you through how to get started in perennials. Um, I will also include a link in the show notes to a previous episode of STEM where we talked, we went, you know, a good 40 minutes into the seasonality and the seasonal approach for perennials and how to really boost those shoulder season sales. So I'll make sure to include that in the show notes as well. So thank you so much, Leland and Chris. Um, you know, you guys alluded to the fact that you have these great resources, that you guys are available to, you know, to help growers that are interested in perennials. If our listeners have any questions or, or would like to learn more about getting into the game or expanding their offering with some of the new strategies or products that we've discussed, what's the best way to get in touch with you guys? Uh, I'm best contacted uh, by email. So it's L-T-O-E-R-I-N-G at darwinperennials.com. 
And uh, for all your listeners, feel free to reach out anytime. And mine is much simpler, C-F-I-F-O at darwinbrandle.com. Or they can always contact their sales reps and they can put in touch with uh, the right people as well. Excellent. And I will also include your uh, your uh, emails and some of those uh, con- bits of contact information in the show notes for if anyone wants to reach out. I think it's great that you guys are, uh, are open to and, and would like to talk to uh, the grower listeners. There's so many opportunities that we've talked about. You know, and, and to the listeners, the Darwin team really is packed with perennials experts, and they're continuing to add to that team and adding to the portfolio of relevant and innovative products uh, that, that they're bringing to market. We talked a lot about this new breeding. It seems to never end. I go to trials every year, and I see more and more products that have that are being bred to solve specific problems. If you've been considering adding perennials to your mix or expanding your palate, it really sounds like now is the time. Thanks so much for listening to STEM, insider tips for greenhouse pros. I'm Bill Calkins, and you can always reach me by email at bcalkins at ballhort.com. B-C-A-L-K-I-N-S at B-A-L-L-H-O-R-T dot com. Or on Twitter at Bill Calkins. Be sure to follow Ballseed on LinkedIn for tons of B2B content related to STEM topics, timely technical tips, and more. And check out the show notes for links to even more content related to this episode. Links to Darwin Perennials and Keith Seed resources and scheduling tools as well. Let's end this episode with a quote from German economist Klaus Schwab that encourages us to try new things, even though they might be uncomfortable. Change can be frightening, and the temptation is often to resist it. But change almost always provides opportunities to learn new things, to rethink tired processes, and to improve the way we work.